I've got a couple of things I want to discuss with the church today before we get into the teaching part. Uh, first is next Sunday night at 8 o'clock, we're going to start an annual thing called 76 Hours in the Word. And uh, we're going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It takes about 76 hours, nonstop, 24 hours a day. And you might wonder, why do we do this? I believe it is one of our most precious acts of worship. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. And we hold it at the highest level. So we're going to have an act of worship starting Sunday night leading through Wednesday night. And here's where you come in. Um, we're asking you to pick a time slot. There's a sheet out on the table in the Welcome Center. Uh, you can sign up to read a 30-minute time slot. If you don't think you can read 30 minutes, bring a friend and split it in half. That's okay. But we're going to read Genesis to Revelation, 76 hours through the Word as an act of worship, an offering to God. We're going to lift it up as an offering to Him. And I'm going to tell you this. Let me, let me give you something personal. If you're given an opportunity to do this, don't miss it. You want a blessing? Here's a blessing. Take advantage of it. Second thing is this, I would like to announce to the church that we have begun design phase, it's just design phase right now of a new children's ministry wing for the church. It will be out, yeah, thank you. I would rather have that than, oh no, more kids, yeah, more kids. We're going to go out this way. It'll be out on this end of the building, uh, crossing over that parking lot area. It will be a fairly large expansion to this facility. We haven't got exact details yet. It will singly house all children's ministry in one place. It will also greatly enlarge the foyer welcome center area where people are coming in. If you've noticed when you come in here, it's rather tight out there. So it will go that away, and we're starting the design phases of that now. If the Lord deteriorates, we're going to add on to the building, uh, open up this wing for other ministries, which is now children's ministry, and move all the children off in that wing. Um, next, and here's your part. Next, next Sunday is a fifth Sunday, which we designate those offerings totally to the building fund. We're already starting to save money. Uh, we don't want to borrow any more money than we have to, so we're building up money to build this new building. So we're, we're in the business of bringing more and more and more and more into the kingdom. So next Sunday, I encourage you to be prayerful about your gift. It will go directly toward this new project. And if you want to get involved in children's ministry, know this, that this Tuesday night, 6 o'clock in the junior church room, there is a meeting for people who want to volunteer for children's ministry. You say, well, you know what, I'd like to get involved. Come out here Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, uh, junior church room. Somebody will show you where to go and get plugged in, and somebody will give you an assignment so you can be a part of this expansion that's about to take place. For the past four weeks, we've been focusing on the afterlife. I find it to be an interesting topic even of itself, the afterlife. Do you believe there's something after this life? Some people don't. 
Some people believe that it's, this is it and there's nothing after this life. I doubt that you're here today if that's who you are. There's something after this life. We've examined what the Bible says about the glory of heaven in the afterlife. And we've even, last Sunday, we took a, um, a look into the deep darkness of heaven's alternative, hell. We're going to deal with the crucial question today. In fact, unless we ask the question we're going to ask today, really all the other topics don't have much meaning. And here's the question. Can you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Now, you wouldn't think that to be a controversial question, but I'm going to tell you it is. What does the Bible say? Not, not what does Terry Cooper say. What does the Bible say about the question, can you, should you, will you know for sure if you're going to heaven? Well, what's the point of an afterlife if you have to wait to the last day to figure out what it is? Is that how it works? It's kind of like, surprise, door number one, door number two. That's not it. Before we get into that serious question, I want to look at something first to kind of set the stage. I want to tell you the best thing about this afterlife place called heaven. The very best thing. If I were to ask you, in fact, it'd be curious if I took a poll, what would you think the best thing about heaven is going to be? I know that some people are going to say, well, you get a new body. Because this, this, this knee right here hurts a lot, okay? I'm looking forward to getting just this part fixed. You get a new body, and you know what? You, you can eat anything you want, and you don't get fat, right? There's no hospitals or ambulances, and you know what? And, and it's just, it's, it's like a Garden of Eden. But what do you think the, the best thing about heaven's going to be? I've told you before that I believe heaven's going to be much like the Garden of Eden. In fact, it's kind of crazy that humanity has gone all this way to get back where we started. And we've traveled all this distance just to come back to where it all began, which is in the Garden of Eden, before the curse. Do you know what Eden's, you know what the Garden of Eden's greatest attraction was? Think about it. Somebody said, well, it's a tree of life. No, no. Do you know what the Garden of Eden's greatest attraction was? God. Heaven's not going to be heaven if he's not there. Heaven, that, that's what makes heaven heaven. That's what will make any place heaven is when he's there. God's presence, his glorious presence. Let me read Genesis 3 verse 8. This is, this is the event that separates man and the fall of man. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, they're in the garden, right? Adam and Eve in the garden. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, if you're a visitor today, I want to give you a heads up. On the back of the bulletin, we, I, I put a, a place where you can fill in the blanks because that helps some people stay in touch. And if you want to know these yellow words on the TV, they'll appear behind me. Those are your blanks. And go ahead, see if you can keep up with me. I said that one Sunday, and there's this little kid came out of this section over here, and he ran up to me as soon as church was over, and he went, I did it. <laughs> like, don't I get something? <laughs> See if you can keep up. 
The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Let that sink in for a moment. He's with them. They're with him. But something tragic is in that verse. It says, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Can you imagine hearing God coming through your neighborhood in the cool of the day and not being afraid, but excited about seeing him today? Now, I'm going to tell you, I live in Birdie. I live out in the western end of Anderson County. I've been out there for a long time, and I, I can't imagine anything larger than the fact that uh, I, I heard God was coming to Birdie today. And he's walking about in the cool or in the heat of the day. wouldn't matter. He's coming to see me. What kind of a world would it be like? Now, now here's an important part. What kind of a world would it be like? Now, I'm not talking about the Spirit of God. Stay with me. I'm not talking about the, the invisible Holy Spirit presence of God. Because we understand something about the invisible Holy Spirit of God, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the physical presence of God. You can see Him. He's there. You can touch Him. He's there. I'm talking about that coming to your house, that coming to your neighborhood. It, you hear Him walking about in the cool of the day. What kind of a world would it be? The Bible tells us that one day, things will be exactly like they used to be. Like the Garden of Eden before the curse. Let me read it to you. It's in Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Why? And the sea, it's also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout. What's the shout about? There's something that you got to know is big. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. What do I need to look at? What's he drawing the attention to? Look, God's home is now among his people. He's moving in. This is an event that's going to happen. I told you the Garden of Eden began with man walking with God. The physical presence of God. Not the veiled presence of God. The physical presence of God. And now it says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things, what, are gone forever. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. They're gone forever. Somebody say hallelujah. That's in the new garden of Eden. That's where we're going one day. They're gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down for what I tell you he's talking to john is trustworthy what i'm telling you john is true so i'm gonna ask everybody a question do you believe the scripture that i just read to you is trustworthy and it's true 
And that there really is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth are going to disappear. And everything's going to change. And everything's going to be different. And the highlight's not going to be the trees or the animals or the you or the me. The, the highlight's going to be one. He's going to be here. He's going to be here. Yeah, living where we live. He will be our God and we will be his people Sometimes people get so excited about the wonder and amazement of heaven that they forget about the best thing. God's going to be there all the time, face to face. The glory. The glory. You're going to hear me say that word a whole lot today. And I want you to understand when I say that word what it means. It is the, the very presence of God. The glorious, light-filled, wonderful presence of His being. The glory is going to be there. The throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. Now, now this is a deep theological question. Now, we talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But there's something that happens in Revelation 22 that kind of blows the minds. One of these moments. Here we go. In Revelation 22, notice that the throne of the Father and the throne of the Son, the throne of the Lamb, are both going to be on this new earth creation. Let me read it to you. And then the angel showed me a river, the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of Main Street, on each side of the river grew the tree of life, bearing the twelve crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be any curse upon anything. That ought to tell you everything's different. Nothing's cursed. Nothing. Animal life, creation, people, nothing's cursed anymore. Why? What is eliminating the curse? For the throne of God. Here it is a second time. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will what? They will see His face. And His name will be written on their foreheads. Now, I understand the whole concept of the Trinity, how, how they are the same, and yet they are different. Right now, the Father is on the throne. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. All I know is this. One day, the Father and the Son. It says, right now, in heaven, the Father is seated at the throne, and the Son sits at His right hand. This tells me that they're going to relocate that throne to the new earth. And that's where you're going to be. A new heaven and a new earth. The biggest attraction in the original Garden of Eden was what? God. The biggest attraction in the new Garden of Eden is going to be what? God. So I want to introduce a word to you. Everything else is going to pale in comparison to this word. This word is used, it is Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory. That's just a word used in and Christians and Jews have used this word for centuries to describe this, the visible presence of God. The visible presence of God. So in the Garden of Eden, there was the Shekinah glory that Adam and Eve could see him. They could touch him. He's there, the Shekinah glory. So today I'm going to introduce you to this glory, this Shekinah glory. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the ability to dwell in the Shekinah glory of God, right? Because God said, you have to leave my glorious presence. And they had to leave the garden. Sin separated them from the Shekinah glory. And he put a, a gate on the east side of the Garden of Eden. And he put angels and flaming swords so that they cannot approach the Shekinah glory of God. There was still some communication, but you could not approach the glory. And that went on for a long time. It went on through the time of the flood and after the flood. All the way up to the time of Moses. And God makes this plan. Listen, listen carefully. There's this emptiness. The, the glory of God has departed from Adam and Eve. Departed from mankind. And God makes this plan that His glory is going to come back to planet Earth. So He calls this man named Moses. And Moses is to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is going to have a special place called a most holy place. It's got a curtain and a veil and an ark of the covenant and a mercy seat and two cherubim angels. And, and it's made of solid gold. And something's going to come on top of that ark of the covenant. What is it? The Shekinah glory of God. Whoa. Since the time of Adam and Eve. Since the time of Adam and Eve. The glory has departed. But now suddenly the glory's coming back. And he's going to live in the neighborhood of the people of Israel. It's a tent. It's behind a curtain. But the glory has returned to the earth. Even though it was nothing like the presence he offered Adam and Eve, he's back. It's nothing like the presence Adam and Eve had before the fall. But he's here. Yes, it's behind a curtain. Yes, it's behind a veil. Yes, you have to be a high priest. And yes, you've got to go in with only blood. But he's here on the earth. The Shekinah glory. In fact, it's interesting that Moses had a chance to encounter this glory. Maybe like nobody else. In fact, there's that one story where Moses says, show me your glory. If I could ask you for anything, just show me your glory. And God allows Moses to see what? Just the back, his backside. You cannot see my face, Moses, or you will die. If Moses sees the, the face of God, he will die. So God allows him. He covers him with his hand, removes his hand just so he can see his back. There's another time when he's up on the mountain with God and he's in the Shekinah glory. He's being exposed to the radiating glory of God and he walks down the mountain and he has no idea that he's glowing. He has no idea that it looks like he's been plugged in like something at Christmas time. And all the people are terrified of him. Why? Because the Shekinah glory of God has gotten on Moses. And now he's illuminated just by being in the presence of God. All of that happened in the tabernacle and in the temple. But in the time of Ezekiel, 800 years after Moses, God's Shekinah glory is going to leave. I get a lump in my throat. He's leaving. He's leaving. You see, he had made this way for people to experience His glory, His presence. And they refused to obey Him. They refused to believe Him. And now He's leaving. In Ezekiel chapter 10, it says, The glory of the Lord rose up from above the cherubim and went over to the door of the temple. Why is He going to the door? He's leaving. 
The temple was filled with the cloud of glory, and the courtyard glowed brightly with the glory of the Lord. The moving wings of the cherubim sounded like the voice of God Almighty and could be heard even in the outer courtyard. Do you know why God lived? Do you think it would be important to figure out what it was among the people of God that made God say, I'm out of here. In fact, if you study the Scripture, it's not even complicated. It's not even hard to find. It's repeated over and over and over and over. Two major things happened that caused God to say, I'm leaving. Number one is idolatry. The people refused to worship Him and worship Him alone. Number two, they shed innocent blood. And God said, for your idolatry and for the shedding of innocent blood, I will leave. My glory will depart. Do you think that has any reference to the modern American culture? Anybody in the room think that we, in our modern American culture, ought to be sensitive to those two things? Is there idolatry in the American culture? You know what idolatry is called in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul refers to idolatry in the New Testament as covetousness. You know what that big word means? This insatiable desire for material things. It's here. People don't have time for God because they're too much time accumulating more and more material things. From God's perspective, it's just another form of idolatry. And what's the second thing? The second thing was the shedding of innocent blood. Sixty million babies have been sacrificed at an altar called convenience. Do you think God will not notice? Sixty million children. Do you know what happened after the Shekinah glory of God departed from Jerusalem's temple in the time of Ezekiel? Do you know what happened? It would be important to understand what happens when God comes and lives among His people and then says that your idolatry and your sin are forcing me to leave. You don't want me? Okay, I'll leave. You don't want me? I'll leave. And He left. You know what happened? King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came out of the north and he came to Jerusalem and did what no king should have ever been able to do. He destroyed the city. He destroyed the temple. He set it on fire, burned down the gates, tore down the walls. Do you think he could have done that with God sitting behind the curtain? <laughs> he wouldn't have made it past the city marker. What? But God had left. 700 years after the time of Ezekiel. Listen, church, I am so glad this story doesn't end there. 700 years after the time of Ezekiel, the Shekinah glory, the physical, the, the physical, visible presence of the divine returns to planet Earth. Do you know that? How many of you know that? 700 years after the time of Ezekiel, the Shekinah glory is going to come back to the earth. The visible presence of the glory of God's coming to the earth. But this time, he's not going to be behind a veil in a Jerusalem temple. He's not going to be behind some flaming gate at the Garden of Eden. No, 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 no. Not this time. John 1, 14. Do you know this is the glory of God? So the Word became human. So the Word became human 
the glory became human and made his home among us. Who is it? Say his name. Say his name. The word became human. And he made his home among us. And he was full of God's unfailing love and his faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. You could touch him. You could put your arm around him. He could tell you stories. He's a real person. We've seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. The Shekinah glory of God once again appeared on earth. Do you know that? Do you understand how big this is? You see, he had come in the Garden of Eden, but he left because of sin. He returned in the glory of the time of Moses, under the law of Moses. But eventually, even then, he departed because sin again. So then he sends the glory of his own son, who departs from heaven and moves into our neighborhood. His name is Emmanuel. Do you understand the power of that word? God with us. How can our minds grasp that simple sentence? In Matthew 1.23, the announcement was, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him a name. What's the name? Emmanuel. And in case you're not sure what that means, it's translated, which means God is with us. 33 years later, Jesus departed planet earth to sit at the right hand of God in heaven. And he, he did not leave us as orphans, did he? But he was going to leave. The physical presence of God was going to leave. But he did not leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell on the earth until the day that all things will be made new. When there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that all of that is to bring me to the question that I started with today. Can you know you're going to Him? With all that background, all that preparation of God to make a new earth and a new heaven, do you know? Can you know for sure? The key word is no, K-N-O-W. Can you know for sure that you're going to heaven? I'm looking across the room today, and I want you to consider the question personally. Can you, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Do you know for sure where you will spend the afterlife? Can you know for sure? I have some people that come to me, in fact, I've had this conversation recently. Some people say that's not possible to know for sure. What does the Bible say? You see, knowing is believing, and believing is knowing. And I'll ask you a question Do you know what you believe? The Bible says we are saved by God's grace through faith. Listen carefully. The Bible clearly says, clearly says that we're not saved by works. We're not saved because we did something or didn't do something. We're saved by God's grace. That's God's part. God offered you a place in heaven. That's God's part. No, you didn't call him. He called you. There's never a day that you got up and called God to make a reservation from heaven. He called you and offered you a reservation. He started this. But what's my part? What's your part? What's mankind's part? It's called faith. God's part is He offers a gift. You must receive that gift and respond to that gift. 
God offers us heaven through the blood of His Son. And He offers it this way. There's only one way you can get to heaven. He offers you heaven by the gift of His Son, the blood of His Son, because the blood of His Son forgives you of your sin. The blood of His Son pardons you of your sin. If we accept this offer of grace through faith, we enter into a new covenant. It was on the screen during communion time, the scripture. If we receive, if we respond to God's grace by faith, by faith, which means you believe it. You don't believe a little of it. You believe all of it. Then you enter that receiving, that believing, that faith enters you into a new covenant of God through the blood of Christ. It is a covenant of blood. It is a covenant of faith. You must respond by faith. And the key word is respond. And what do you think faith is? I could get a million answers to that one. What's the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 11. First, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is what? It's confidence. Faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. How many of y'all are hoping for heaven? Raise your hand. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. You know what's scary? What I'm about to ask you. How many of you are confident that you'll be there? Not as many hands. You see, faith is the confidence. Confidence in what? That what I hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance of things we cannot see. Confidence and assurance. The NIV translates it, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. You're sure and you're certain, what? That heaven's coming and it's mine. Because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and His blood has forgiven my sins. Everyone's not going to heaven. Do you hear me? Everybody's not going to heaven. Many people are going to die in their sins and they're going to lose access to the Shekinah glory of God. And in all likelihood, there's somebody sitting in this room today who will not go to heaven in all likelihood. Many will die unforgiven because they never entered into this new covenant of God through the blood of Christ. Jesus announced this new covenant at the Last Supper. He announced this new covenant as a new promise of God. A promise to make sure that you would encounter the presence of God. Luke twenty two twenty. After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he, Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant. You know what a covenant is? A binding agreement between two parties. It's the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out for the, as a sacrifice for you. Why is it poured out? Why is it a sacrifice? Why did he go to the cross? It was his blood that paid off your debt of sin, that pardoned you. Have you entered into this new covenant of God through Jesus? Yes or no? You see, there is no third answer. Have you entered this new covenant of God through Christ? Yes or no? This blood covenant forgives your sins, it pardons you, and it changes something. It changes your afterlife 
from hell to heaven. There's only one way to enter into this blood covenant. It's called faith. You believe it. You believe all of it. But what if you don't? You will die in your sin. I'm going to tell you the truth. What if you don't? What if you don't enter it by faith? What if you don't believe all of it? You will die in your sins. And you will experience the afterlife called hell. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 25, he describes it. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day. What? The gates of heaven will never be closed at the end of the day. Why? Because there's no night there. Why is there no night there? Because he is the sun and the moon and the stars. He is the illumination. You can turn all that stuff off when he gets here. You won't need any of that stuff to light the world up when he gets here. He is the light of the world. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. And nothing evil, here it comes, nothing evil is going to be allowed to enter that city. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Yes or no? Your name doesn't maybe get in there. Your name doesn't almost get in there. They don't just put your initials in there and then fill in the blanks later. Yes or no? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Can you know for sure that your name is written there? Can you know for sure that you're going to heaven? Can you know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in the Shekinah glory of God? Faith requires, listen, I've read, I have studied, faith requires a response. You must respond to God's grace by your faith. Faith is not just an intellectual event. It is a response of your entire life to God. Can anybody in this room possibly, in your wildest imagination, believe that the Holy Spirit can enter inside, live inside of you? The, the glorious Holy Spirit, presence of God, can come inside of you and you are not changed. That he can move into your temple and you are no different. That everything's the same before and after. It doesn't even make any sense. And yet a lot of people claim to be believers and their lives have never been changed. I heard somebody describe the gap. You know what the distance between heaven and hell is? 18 inches. It's the different distance between the head and the heart. A lot of people have this idea. You have this intellectual knowledge of God, but you have never allowed the intellectual knowledge of God to pierce your heart by faith. And thus you're really not a believer at all. Faith is dying to yourself. This is not an intellectual event. This is a life-changing event. Abraham didn't tell God he believed in him and then refused to travel to Mount Moriah. You would think that would be foolish. God, I'm your man. You can establish your covenant with me. I'm your guy, but I'm not going to Mount Moriah. And yet many in the modern church believe that I'm your guy, I'm your gal. I'm not going to do what you say, but I'm your guy, I'm your gal, but I will not follow you. Faith is taking up a cross. It's following Jesus. 
This is not an intellectual event. This is a life changer. Faith is changing sides. That's when you leave the world and you join Christ. Faith is changing sides and then going into deep water. It's leaving the world behind and then allowing God, listen, here's the deal, then allowing God to apply His supernatural life over top of yours. You will do what you have never been able to do because it won't be you doing it. It'll be Him doing it through you. Throughout the ages, countless people have been too busy to respond to Jesus' invitation to this new covenant. Satan keeps people distracted by the love of this present world. Satan wants to sell you the present earth as if it were your heaven. He's a liar. Many assume that the good they've done, perhaps attending church, that'll get me to heaven. I was baptized, that'll get me to heaven. I served on the welcome team, wore one of those orange shirts. That'll get me to heaven. I even worked in the nursery. Surely that gets me to heaven. But the truth is this. The people who do not respond to Christ's invitation to forgive their sins are people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. To be denied entrance into heaven's wedding banquet will result in you being cast outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and you will not recover. On that day, there will be no explanations. There will be no excuses. There will be no one to stand in your place. And there will be no court of appeals. It is final. Your name is written in this wedding book of the Lamb's book of life or it is not written there. And the only way to get your name in that book is faith. And God knows. I don't know. I can't look at anybody in this room and say that you have the faith. That kind of faith. Saving faith. But I guarantee you this. He knows. He knows. Have you responded to God's offer of grace through the new covenant? I didn't ask you, did you hear about it? I'm asking you, have you purposefully responded? Have you received this gift of grace? Opened it, applied it over your life. Have you responded to God's invitation by faith? Have you been too busy? Maybe I'll get to that one day, preacher. Luke 21, Jesus gives a warning. Jesus says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't you let that day, what day? Don't you let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day is going to come upon everyone living upon the earth. It's coming. It's coming. I don't know what day it is. Can you say for sure? Here comes the question. Can you say for sure, I'm going to heaven? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I don't say this because of some spiritual arrogance. It is a matter of faith in the truth of God's word. It is a matter of faith in the truth of God's covenant promises. Faith is confidence that God's going to keep his word, his covenant about heaven. Are you confident about God's promises? Are you sure? Are you certain? Because that's what faith is. In 1 John, if you've ever wondered about this question, 
If you doubt what I'm saying even right now, listen carefully. 1 John chapter 5. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. Here it comes. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son, guess what? Has life. And whoever does not have God's Son, does not have life. Is that complicated? It's not complicated. If you have Jesus, you have life, because He is life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life, because you rejected life. Next verse, verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know. Here it comes. I'm going to hold it up. I have written this. I can hear God through the Spirit saying, I have written this to you who believe. If you don't believe, this won't do anything to you. But to you who believe, I have written this to you who believe, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know we're going to heaven when we die. The fear of death and the fear of dying has been replaced by faith in the promised Word of God. We can know that if Jesus returns to gather believers in the rapture, we're going to go with Him. I can know that. Can you know that? We can have confidence that God has gone ahead of us and prepared a place for us that where He is, we will be also. We can be sure that we will dwell forever in the Shekinah glory of God. No darkness, only light. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says, So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and God has chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The New International Version translates it, be all the more eager, eager to make your calling and election sure. So are you sure? Are you? What would you say if someone came up to you and asked you, this week somebody randomly comes up and asks you, are you going to heaven when you die? What are you going to tell them? You can say, well, maybe. I hope so. I think so. I'm not sure. What is it saying? What are you telling that unbeliever about your faith? I'm not sure if I can trust God. I'm not sure if He can keep His promise. I'm not sure if the blood of Christ is sufficient to save me. What does it say? One verse. One verse. Everybody knows John 3.16. But I wonder, I wonder sometimes, does anybody believe John 3.16? Here's what it says. Jesus says, For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. Why? Why? So that everyone who believes Him will not perish. I'm not going to perish because I believe Him. Don't tell me I'm going to perish. Everyone who believes Him is not going to perish. I don't know. Maybe I'll go to heaven. Maybe not. Do you believe Him? Everyone who believes Him will not perish, but you're going to have eternal life. You either believe this or you don't believe this. This world isn't going to be amazed, perplexed, astonished, and astounded at a church that doesn't know where it's going. No disrespect, but if you don't know where you're going, I don't want to follow you. There's a big difference between spiritual arrogance and spiritual confidence. 
Spiritual arrogance is based upon the ability to save yourself. That's just stupid. But spiritual confidence is based upon something else. I believe he is able to do immeasurably more than I have ever asked or imagined. And I believe he is all-powerful. And I believe the blood of Christ forgives all sins. And I have been pardoned. I am forgiven. I am the blood-bought son of the Most High God. It's confidence, not in me. It's confidence in him. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently, what? Into God's presence. Hebrews 3.14, for, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews 10.19, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Anybody see a trend here? Hebrews 10.35, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. One more, 1 John 4.17, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid in the day of judgment. I don't want to be afraid of judgment day. We will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face Him, what church? With confidence. Not arrogance. Confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. My wife's favorite place, the vacations in Destin, Florida. We've traveled there several times over the years and Never once have we decided to go to Destin, Florida, and I just got in the car and just pointed and th hoping I'd get there. Every time I drive to Florida, I get a map, I plan my route, I make a reservation in advance where I'm going to stay when I get there. You know what? It just makes good sense that you know where you're going and you know how to get there, and you've made reservations when you arrive. It's my experience many people spend more time planning their summer vacation than they plan their afterlife. Do you understand how to get to heaven? I'll get to that one day, preacher. Have you made a reservation there? When your name is written in that book of life, you have a place reserved for you. Are you going to heaven? If you want to get somewhere, guesswork is a poor and stupid strategy. The goal of getting to heaven is the most important thing you will ever plan in your lifetime. So here we go. I'm going to summarize and give you some practical application. How do I respond to this covenant of God? Do I need to respond? Yes, you do. If you're in the room today, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. How do I respond to Jesus' invitation to join him at the wedding supper of the Lamb? I'm going to keep it real simple. I'm going to make it real practical so that anybody and everybody in this room can know that you know that you know that you've done it or you haven't done it. My son Chad and I were watching a video years ago of Kyle Eidelman. He's the teaching minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. In that video, Kyle did something that floored me. To the church, he gave a message that he said he apologized to the church that over the years 
he had sometimes sold Jesus cheap. A version of cheap grace. To which he apologized and followed up with four truths. Four truths, so simple, so profound. I wrote them down. Here they are, four things. Do you want to know you're going to heaven? Listen to these four. They're written in your bulletin, by the way. Number one, there is no believing without following. Number two, there is no forgiveness without repentance. If somebody is telling you that there is this, that there is, you can believe but without following, and you don't have to repent, somebody's lying to you. Number three, there is no salvation without surrender. Number four, there is no life without death. One of the reasons I believe God has so moved in this church over the years is we have never sold Jesus cheap. Never. Four items of faith, real faith. And I'm going to ask you, I'm just going to touch the highlight of all four of them, and we're going to close. Listen, does this describe you? Number one, there is no believing without following. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. You can't be a follower of Jesus without following Jesus. Is this complicated? You know how many people in the church say they're followers of Jesus, but you have no intentions of following Jesus. You must do what Jesus did. You must live as Jesus lived to be a follower of Jesus. Or you can just be deceived. Number two, there is no forgiveness without repentance. Jesus himself said in Luke 13, 3, all of you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. You will perish unless you repent. You have to turn around and face God. You know what repentance is? It is turning around. It is a change in your direction. You're walking away from God and you turn around and you face God, acknowledge your sin, and you repent of that sin. There's no forgiveness of sins while you're walking away from Him. That's deception. You turn around. You face Him. If you want His grace, turn around and receive it. Stop walking with your back to Him. Number three, there is no salvation without surrender. Romans 12, verse 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Think of that. I plead, why is Paul pleading with the church? I plead, I beg you. One translation says, I beg you, give your life away. Why? Because if you try to save your life, you're going to lose your life. But if you give your life to Him, you will save your life. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let your, let your body, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing what? The way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and perfect and pleasing. The creator of the universe, let me tell you, the creator of the universe is not your co-pilot or your sidekick. He is your master and your Lord. 
You must bow your life before him or you will lose your life forever. This is not a negotiation. This is life and death. Number four, there is no life without death. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 38, if you refuse, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. You've got to die. I want you, Jesus, but I don't want to die. You've got to die. You've got to die to yourself to live. You must be born again. That's the idea of spiritual death. You cannot be born again unless you're willing to die to yourself. Or somebody say, born once, die twice. Born twice, you die once. What that means is born once means you're going to die a second time. Your first birth was your natural birth to your parents. You've never been born again because you never died to yourself. That means you're going to die twice. You're going to die a physical death and you're going to be resurrected on the great white throne judgment only to die a second time. And the second death is hell. You will die twice. But if you're born twice, oh, glory be. You were born once to your mom and dad, and you were born again by the blood of Jesus. Born of the water and born of the Spirit. You know how you do that? You've got to die to you. You've got to die to you. You've got to die to you. You'll only die once, and you might not even have to do that one if the rapture comes. It's not cheap. It's priceless. It's not cheap. It is priceless. You know why? Because Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I'm asking you, anything? It won't be on the last day. So I close with this. I am saved by grace through faith. My faith comes by hearing the word of God. And by the way, Jesus is the word of God. When I heard the word, I believed it, all of it. I have confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is who he says he is. I have confessed my sins to God and I have asked him to forgive me. I have repented of those sins and asked for the power to overcome them permanently. I have been baptized and I have been born again of the water and I have been born again of the Spirit. I now live under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is my master. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. By His grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will stand firm until the last day. Of these things I am sure. Of these things I am confident. Of these things I am certain. God is going to keep His word. God is going to keep His covenant promises. I'm going to heaven because I have responded by God's, to God's offer to forgive me and to pardon me. I have this scripture painted on the wall in front of my desk in case I doubt one day. In front of my desk, look up on the wall, is Psalms 27. It says, I am still confident. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I will see the Shekinah glory of God in a place called heaven. There is much that I don't know and I don't understand, but I know this. Heaven's coming.
Will you see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? You can. Do you know for sure today that you're going to heaven? You can. This is not, there's not one thing, listen, there's not one thing I have told you today that you are unable to do. There's not, this is the beauty of the gospel of Christ. There's not one thing I have communicated today that every person in this room could not do. But some of you won't. Your eternity will not be dependent upon your ability. It will be dependent upon your choice. Your choice. Your choice. One more thing. In fact, it's my favorite thing today. The Shekinah glory of God is coming again. I told you of the departure of the Shekinah glory of God from the Jerusalem temple in the time of Ezekiel. I'm going to read one of those details of that departure I did not read to you earlier when God's glorious presence departed from Jerusalem 700 years before Christ. Ezekiel chapter 10. Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple and the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. He's leaving. He left. The eastern gate. Did you notice it? Does anybody want to guess which gate Jesus went through 700 years later on that Palm Sunday before he died? Did you know that the same book of Ezekiel tells us of the return of Jesus? And anybody in the room want to guess which gate he's coming through? Ezekiel 44. And then the man brought me back to the east gateway in the outer wall of the temple area, but it was closed. And the Lord said to me, this gate must remain closed. It will never again be opened. No one will ever open it and pass through it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered here. Therefore, it must always remain shut. Now, if you go to Israel, in fact, put up that picture. There's a picture in 2010 where we went to Israel. And I want to tell you, this is the eastern wall, and this is the eastern gate of the old city of Jerusalem. It's closed. You can't go in there. In fact, there's a lot of history about whether or not who closed it, what it is. You can look it up. Dr. David Reagan wrote an article on it. And in his article, I'll summarize that he, he believes that the best that anybody can find that in the 1500s, 1500 A.D., Suleiman, the Muslim king who ruled Jerusalem in that day, heard a rumor, a rumor that the Jewish Messiah was coming and he was alarmed by the Jewish Messiah's coming. So he goes to the Jewish rabbis and asks the Jewish rabbis, what does it mean? Where will he, who will he, come, where will he come from? And they said, the prophecy is he will come from the east. And he's going to rid this city of all you aliens when he comes. So Suleiman did what Suleiman thought was best. He sealed up the eastern gate of the Jerusalem wall. And then he did something else. He took Muslim bodies and he buried them all along. These are gravestones all around. These are all gravestones. And he... Because a Jewish Messiah would never cross over a corpse. It would make him unclean. So he plants dead bodies all across the eastern gate of Jerusalem and seals up the wall, thinking that will stop the Jewish Messiah. 
the Shekinah glory of God is coming. He's going to come and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, which is east of that gate. In fact, if you stand in front of that gate and look up on the hill, you'll see the Mount of Olives. He's going to walk through that gate. I don't think he'll care if it's closed. And he's going to take his seat on David's throne. And he's going to establish a kingdom that will never end. I'm telling you today, the afterlife is coming, one way or the other. The Messiah's coming. I'll ask Chad to come out. Heaven's coming. Hell's coming. Eternity's coming. Can you say today that you're going to heaven? Do you know for sure today you're going to heaven? It'll only be by faith. Is that you? Today, we're going to offer a time of invitation. And whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your life, there's only one answer. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's stand. Let's sing together.